0: Welcome. We're glad you're here. Hey, if you got room in the middle, keep scooting in, will you? Because we need got to get some more people in, still people coming in. And don't forget, we got Saturday night services and Sunday night services. <laughs> Lions and tigers and bears, oh my, please uh, help us out and jump over there. We'd love to have you do that. Um, you're probably like, okay, how are you tying anger into Valentine's weekend, right? I mean, how is this working? Well, really, think about it. <laughs> is it that hard? I mean, I heard a story about a husband and wife who were having a fight, you know, one day, and, and, and he just went on and on and on, and they had to go out that night, and she had to wear a dress, and so she finally got in a vulnerable position of saying, hey, could you zip my dress up for me? And he went over, you know, and they were still kind of mad at each other, He went over and grabbed a zipper, and he zipped it up, and then he went, zip, 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 zip. They went to their thing. They went to bed mad. They got up the next morning. She got up before him, took off, and uh, you know went to work. When she came back from work, she noticed her husband laying there underneath the car, changing the oil, doing something to it. She didn't know what he was doing. She just couldn't, you know, she couldn't resist because you want payback, right? So she went over and grabbed his crotch and went zip, 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 <laughs> with his pants. Walked inside, and there was her husband. Went outside and the neighbor was out cold. He conked his head when somebody grabbed his crotch. There you go. There's your Valentine's tie-in. Okay, it's not really that difficult, right? And, and I'm talking about I'm talking about the sin. I'm um, the sin word for the next seven weeks. And I know that's like uh, you know I'm not, not sure I want to do this. Well, I think sin the sin word has gotten a bad rap from bad preaching about it. Okay, and obviously sin is about what separates us from God. But at its core, the commands of God are given to us so that. We will have a better life, okay? If you ever hear preachers get up talking about sin and how you're going to hell because of sin, it's because that's that's what's giving you this. I mean, yes, yes, all those things are true, but it's about what's going on in your life right now. And the reason God gave us these commands is so that our life would be better. I talked about that last week. That's why He did this. God's not sitting up there going, "Well, you know, I don't want you to do this because I'm a." big cosmic killjoy up in the sky he's trying to save us okay so we're doing the Seven Deadly Sins. I want to ask you, uh, we've already signed up 100 more people this weekend. I want to ask you to sign up to do a, a small group with your family or your friends. Get together, get a DVD, fill out the bulletin. Take out your bulletin. You see that communication card in there. And, and all you got to do is fill that out and hand it to one of the people on your way out and say, I want to do this. All, I'm gonna, all we're going to do is we're going to give you a DVD that Casey and I did all the teaching on the Seven Deadly Sins, and you can start it this week. And again, you, you don't have to invite people from outside of you group. I I want people that you know, invite them over to your house, serve them some healthy snacks and put in the DVD and have a little discussion, have some fellowship, have some community with some people. And let's talk about this together because it's really that important. Fill out the communication card and on the way out, give it to those guys dressed up crazy out there. And, and, and let's talk about it because these sins are deadly. All right, let me put the slide back up again. Seven deadly sins. You got pride, anger, right, envy, slothfulness, lust, gluttony, greed. All of those things are deadly. And there's no one just so you know, there's no one verse that says these are the seven deadly sins. A group of theologians in the Middle Ages put this thing together because they all started thinking, what are the things? What are the what's a list of the things that are the most deadly to our relationship with God? All right, now some of you grew up with the whole mortal sin, venial sin thing, okay? I'm not, this is not what seven deadly is about. Seven deadly sins are what are the, the most common things that, that keep us from God's blessing, that kill our ability and our potential, the things that are the deadliest in our life. And so these seven rose to the top, and they are all addressed multiple times in Scripture, but this death-causing attitude is what we're talking about, right? Because here's the problem. Those of you that grew up with this, even like me, maybe a lot of us grew up with this this idea that you um, have to do, you have to participate in your salvation. A lot, a, lot, a lot of us grew up feeling like I need to participate in my, like that grace thing, yeah, that's all wonderful, but I have to be good. I have to be good enough so that God can be happy with me. And again, uh, you know, you, you may have grown up knowing that, that these big sins are sins that maybe can't even be forgiven, or if they are, you're going to spend a whole bunch of time in purgatory trying to work them off because they're deadly. If that was your interpretation, it's based on part of what Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. For example, anger, you have heard that it was said to people long ago, no murder, murder bad, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment, okay? It's not just about what you do with your actions, it's about your heart, but the word judgment is in there, and then Jesus goes on, if that's not enough, he goes on, that's deadly, right? He goes on and he says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. And throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Okay? Well, if I read that, that sounds like my actions will land me in hell. And again, that's how a lot of, a lot of grew up, a lot of churches still teach that, you know, you do these things, you're going to hell, you do these things, you don't do these things, and you get to go to heaven. You got to figure out a way to make up for those things. And almost every cult, almost every false religion is based on you do the right things, you go to heaven, you don't. and, And you could say, well, that's what Jesus said right here, right? If that's all of Jesus you read, yeah. But if you put Jesus's words together with Jesus's words, you have to come up with a bigger picture than just those words. Because Jesus also says in John three sixteen, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, me, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Well, What does that mean then? I'm confused. If I'm angry, if I'm lustful... Am I going to hell or is he going to save me? What am I supposed to do here? And what do I do with my hand and my eye? (laughs) And can I not lust with one eye? Because I'm pretty sure I can. And if I cut off my right, do I not still have a left jab? You have to put all those things together. Those are the questions that we ask ourselves. So here's what I would say the answer is to putting all of Jesus together. I believe that what Jesus is saying is that yes, all sin leads to, yes, a literal hell unless we are saved. But I keep coming back to this quote from Elvis that I used last week where I, I talked about where I couldn't decide whether hell was an expletive or a, or a, you know, a descriptor when, Jesus, when Elvis said, I'm lonely as hell. He was describing the place that he lived. And friends, I believe that's what Jesus is explaining to us in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the place that you live now. Jesus is saying you are better off with one eye, not living in the hell that you're living in. You're better off with one hand. And of course he's being figurative, but but he's saying you're better off with less body parts and less hell if that's what it takes in your life. Because deadly is deadly. It's not good for you. You don't want to live there. And it's not about eternity because you can be saved from all of those things by the death of Jesus on the cross. That's obviously why he came. We're talking about where we live right now. So we, came, we found this song that we wanted to do for you, and I, I wanted to set it up a little bit first because um, for those of you who grew up with the organ, this is going to tip over past your comfort zone just a little bit. But it, 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 I wanted to do it because it is so descriptive of this hell that we live in. It's so descriptive of of how we live with deadly. Just listen. So that's what we're going to do for the next seven weeks, all right? Sin is everywhere. Are you in good hands? That's what I got to ask you. Uh, here's the deal on the whole thing, okay? Here's what's really important for you to understand. The, this sin thing is just not good for you. It's going to bring hell, it's going to bring death to you. Your wife catches you on the internet looking at stuff that you're not supposed to be looking at. It's going to bring hell to her and hell to you. You do stuff in anger. This is what Jesus is saying. You do stuff in anger that, that, that you know you shouldn't do. It's going to bring hell hell to the people around you. We understand this about anger. That's why they have classes in anger management, ladies and gentlemen. Even the world gets this. We know this, right? It's deadly, okay? Here's what the Bible says. Here's what Jesus says. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're talking about eternity here, and I think we use this verse to talk about eternity on the inside way too much. Usually when we talk about eternity, we're talking about you know, forever. We're talking about later on when Jesus takes us to the place that has no more curse. But eternity starts today. You realize that, right? We're not, we don't need to think about a million years from now. We don't even need to think about after we die. Let's talk about right now. That's why you could put those verses together with what Jesus said in John ten ten, When he said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Well, how's that possible? Well, it's possible because eternity starts now. Eternal life starts now. What Jesus is saying is, look, it's about your heart, okay, first of all. Just because you didn't kill somebody, just because you didn't commit adultery, doesn't mean that you haven't done it in your heart. And it's about your heart. But what he's saying is your heart can be good and eternal life and you can have joy to the full now or your heart can still be hellish even though you're saved. And we all know that you could be a believer for a long time and still live a life of hell on this earth if you choose to. Because it's going to be up to you. It's not up to God. God hasn't locked you up. You're locking yourself up in this prison of deadly. Jesus came to bring us abundant life, to bring us eternal life, and it starts right now, and we need to learn to live there. I was thinking about this week, and pardon uh, again yet another old illustration, but this is the guy I kept thinking of. (laughs) For those of you who are too young to watch reruns of Andy Griffith, this is Otis, the town drunk from. Mayberry RFD or the Andy Griffith show, right? Otis was the guy, I mean, think back about this. We used to laugh about poor Otis. Otis was a guy who was an alcoholic. He was the town drunk. And what he would do is he would get drunk and he would just walk over to the jail and let himself in. And the, the guys would be like, oh, hey, Otis, I guess you're drunk again. Come on in. And he would spend the night in the jail. They never locked the jail. They didn't put him in jail. You with me? He put himself there. That's what I kept thinking of. So when we're talking about deadly, we're talking about the places that we put ourselves, not the places where God puts us. For the next seven weeks, forget about the forever part of eternity for a while, okay? Yes, if you don't have Jesus as your Savior, by all means, you need to get that done. You need to accept him. You need to get baptized. You need to follow him. You need to do that today. Don't mess around because eternity is a very long time to live in a much worse place of hell because God won't be there anymore. And it's a much better place because the curse won't be there anymore. So yes, that's all really important, and I still believe that. But but for, for the next seven weeks, let's talk about now, okay? Let's talk about the power that we have now. I mentioned baptism because Paul did that in Romans 6 as he talks about it. And, and we don't baptize for salvation. We believe that it's something that demonstrates what's going on. Because, again, it's always about the heart, not about an outside action. But listen to this scripture. Don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, Okay? So we were buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we've been united with Him in His death, we will certainly be united with Him in His resurrection because we know that the old self was crucified. My old self was crucified on the cross with Jesus so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with well, yeah, after I die. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying now. My old self was crucified on the cross, and it's done, so I no longer have to be a slave to sin. I no longer have to have the animal that I've become, because I no longer have to go to jail like Otis. I'm not Otis anymore, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Notice that word, mortal. I'm talking about now, ladies and gentlemen. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body and obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of, your sin, of your, uh, yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Because sin is no longer your master. You no longer have to live in deadly. You don't have to live in hell because you are not under the law anymore. You are under grace is that not a phenomenal passage of Scripture I don't have to live there anymore so anger. How how do we deal with it? I mean, we we, we give excuses for it, right? Well, I just didn't sleep well. I had a bad night, PMS, you know, whatever it is you want to blame it on. And, And the problem with anger is that it's so rampant and it's so complex and it's so dangerous. It's one of the most common. That's why I wanted to start here. I think it's one of the most common seven deadly sins because it's fun to get angry. It's fun to feel that, and there's an adrenaline rush, and there's all kinds of stuff. That's why they have classes in it, you know? And it's fun, and because we feel these feelings, and we want to retaliate, and we've, we've accepted the fact that retaliation is a good thing, because in our world, our, our heroes, our movie heroes, our TV heroes, who are they? They're the people who retaliate, right? Hello, my name is Anugo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. This woman's husband cheated on her and um, she didn't take too kindly to it. All right, first thing comes to your mind country song. And I dug my key into the side of his pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive. Why did Carrie Underwood break out with that song? Because that's a feeling we want to have. I deserve this anger, this retaliation, this payback. This is the way that it ought to be. This is the problem with anger. And the bottom line is there is going to be stuff that's going to make you angry. So pay attention to this. I'm going to give you a verse of Scripture. I'll give you the beginning of it right here. The Bible says, be angry. Be angry. Do you know that? The Bible says, be angry. Well, obviously, this is not the whole verse. What, the, what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4 is, you are going to be angry. Okay? The, the, the thing that he's saying here is that anger is not the deadly part. It's what we do with anger that is the deadly part. That's what turns it deadly. Anger is neutral, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, one commentator said it's like a crowbar. You could use it to pry open the window that's stuck, or you could use it to smash the window. Either way, it's like all of the seven deadly sins. Eating good, gluttony bad, right? You know, I mean, and we're going to talk about gluttony way more than eating. It's, you know, more than that. But, that. but you see what I'm saying? A little bit of pride is good. We need to have some pride in ourselves. God made us fearfully and wonderfully made right? We're a temple, The too much pride is bad. Sexual desire, good. God made it. Lust is bad. Rest is good. Laziness is bad. It's, all of these things are neutral things. It's what we do with it that makes the difference. And even constructive anger can be a good or a bad thing, depending on what we do with it. Even righteous anger. I mean, constructive anger would be me getting mad because I flunked the test and and deciding that next time I'm going to study harder and I'm not going to flunk the test. Okay, that's good. What I'm saying is that some Christians believe that we should just be, you know, singing kumbaya all the time and nothing will ever make us angry. No, some things are going to make us angry. The anger of the Lord is a phrase that's used in the Old Testament. 18 times god got angry jesus got angry you know when they were turning the temple into an outlet mall he went in and got angry right but like all anger it doesn't matter whether it's righteous anger or unrighteous anger it's what we do with it i mean we can do a lot of damage with unrighteous or with 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 destructive righteous anger can't we I mean, all we have to do is think of Westboro Baptist Church, right? Uh, are they doing any good with their anger? No, they're, they're, they're messing things up. I got this picture from the uh, old temperance movement when they were trying to do away with alcohol. Lifts that to touch liquor shall not touch ours. I gotta ask you a question. <laughs> Did that really deter anybody? I take one look at them and start drinking. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Holy cow, Joe, where's the moonshine? <laughs> I mean, seriously, who wants to follow their God? Who wants to follow Westboro Baptist God? Nobody wants to follow because our anger, whether it's righteous or unrighteous, can be constructive or it can be destructive. This is what's really important. So here's the rest of that verse. Be angry. You're going to be angry, but do not sin. Don't sin in your anger. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Better translation of that is, don't give the devil a guest room in your house. I mean, Seriously, would you do that? Oh yeah, you can move in for a couple of days. No, you wouldn't let the devil in. But when you have anger, you're letting the devil move in. If you get to the point where you let that take over in your life, you let him move in. Obvious. The most obvious story is Cain and Abel, right? Very back, very, very beginning. Cain and Abel, sons of Adam and Eve. You know, Cain's Cain's sacrifice was not pleasing to God. Abel's was. Cain gets mad at Abel, and God sees the whole thing going down ahead of time. And here's what God says to Cain. He says. Why are you so angry, and why is your face downcast? I mean, he's mad at Abel. Abel didn't do anything, but he's mad at Abel, right? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Chill, dude. Uh, you know, Just come back, and let's talk about this, and let's get the sacrifice right. But if you, do what is, if you do not do what is right, listen to this. Sin is crouching at the door, and it desires to have you but you must master it. It's crouching at the door like a cat getting ready to pounce. That's, that's where sin always is when we've got anger. And if you don't know the rest of the story, um, he let it go, killed his brother, and we now have murder going on in the world you know, all around us. And it all started back there because sin was crouching at the door and he didn't master it. Listen, this is a verse we use a lot around here. This is why the Old Testament writer of Proverbs said, above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. That's what Jesus was saying. So how do we deal with our anger? Okay, well, there's two basic kinds. I'm going to lump everybody into two categories. Two basic kinds of anger people in the world. The first one is the skunk, obviously makes a lot of sense, right? What does a skunk do? When a skunk is challenged, he spews, We'll use that word, right? He spews. You know people like that. Maybe you are a person like that. One guy was burying his wife, and right as they lowered her casket down into the ground, lightning flashed and struck a tree nearby, and thunder was going off, and it was this loud commotion, and he just looked up and said, Well, I guess she made it. Okay. You you know that person or you are that person. If you are a spewer, you have a short fuse and you've got a hot temper. And whenever you get angry, everybody around you can smell you. Okay. So how many of you are skunks? Go ahead and raise your hand because we can smell you already. Good. Okay. All right. I am a skunk. All right. Hi, my name's Tim and I'm a skunk. I spew. That's what I do, and it's not good. So let me, let me give you a really gross uh, indication uh, uh, to help you to remember what it's like for you if you are a spewer, what it's like for people to be around you. Think back to the last time somebody got sick and literally spewed on you, okay? That's how gross I want this to go. If you're a parent, you know that this has happened. You know, you, your kid comes in and says, Daddy, I don't feel so good, and blah, there it goes. And what do you do? You're like, you're like trying to cup it, you know, protect the carpet. Oh, what am I going to, you know, get your shirt or whatever you can do, right? And then what happened? They felt better, didn't they? They're like, hey, nice catch, Dad. Let's go get ice cream. <laughs> Here's my question. Did you feel better? No, no, no. You felt like re-spewing, right? I know that's gross, and I'm sorry, Not really that, sorry, but I know that that's gross. I want you to understand what it's like for the people around you when you spew, because it just makes them want to re-spew, okay? And let me just tell you, all my homies in the spew club, the Bible says that spewers are stupid. A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise wise man keeps himself under control. Skunks, our problem is that our anger problem is destroying our relationships and it's bringing hell to the people around us and sin is crouching at the door and it's making us do dumb stuff. In your anger, don't sin. And again, I mentioned anger management. I mean, psychologists will tell you, medical doctors have studied it. One medical doctor said you could subtract a week of life for every outburst of anger that you have. That's how bad it is for you to spew. It means I'm like 95 in anger years. I don't know about you, okay? And, 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 and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell you something. It's, it's not just about personality, it's not all those things. It, it's about deeper stuff than that. It, it, it's about something that we should and can and ought to be able to control, all right? Well, there's a second group of you out there. You're, you're sitting pretty right now. You're thinking, well, I'm not a spewer. You know, I don't do that. I don't lose my cool very often. What are you? You are, you are a turtle. A turtle is a stewer, okay? A steward is the person who, you know, they b- bring it in and they get down. It's all down in their shell, and they're all down in their shell, and everything, you know, seems okay on the outside. It doesn't seem like they're mad, but they're mad. And it's smoldering down in there. And, you know, like five days from now, all of a sudden, it's going to come out, and you're going to be like, whoa, whoa, what just happened? Well, it's not about what happened then. It was about what happened five days ago, but they've been holding on to it. And the Bible says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, <laughs> stewards don't believe that, right? They got a record. They got a list, and they want to keep on to it. And I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, my wife's in this service, and we're, I'll, we'll both admit this. We, we are both pretty spewish, Okay. We follow the spewish calendar. We have spewish holidays. I mean, literally. that's just like blah, 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 blah. That's how we do things, okay? But if I had a choice, and and I don't now because 30 years in, we're, we're doing this. But if I had a choice, I would rather be with a spewer than a stewer. I would rather, I would rather know, you know, let's get it out there. Let's figure it out than to be with something that's, you know, smoldering underneath and all of a sudden you don't, go on, you don't know what's going on. And this is why Paul in that verse earlier said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I don't think he would, he's not being literal. I mean, you know, don't stay up for three months until you get your, you know, your fight worked out. He's saying, don't let it stew. You know what it's like, you know what it's like to let it stew. When you're letting it stew, you go to bed in the fighting position fighting position is you're facing one wall, you're facing the other wall, and it becomes this little game, right? Like first person to touch loses, you know? That's that's what stewing is, okay? And that's not good. So let me see all my turtles. Quit stewing about it. Just raise your hand and let's just admit this, okay? I just want you to know this because on both sides of this coin, we are literally having a problem with this, and we need to keep Satan in hell and keep him out of our house. That's what we need to do. Really, really important. So how do we do it? Well, best piece of advice I think I could ever come up with came from Jesus' brother James farther on down in the New Testament. And, 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 and I hate preaching to myself, okay? I want you to know that. I hate preaching to myself, but I've got to do it. Here's the equation. Let me just put it up here. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Why? Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Because it's deadly. It's bad. So what's the prescription? What's the equation? It is be quick to listen and slow to speak. I'm terrible at that. Are you? I'm terrible at that. And again, I can't blame it on my ADD or my, you know, whatever, my personality. It's selfish, it's sinful, it's wrong, and I repent. And you need to, too. The problem is, I don't know if you have this problem, the problem is I have a really bad memory. And and, and so when I'm being spewish, it's not really because I'm just being rude, it's because I'm afraid I might forget the great comeback I just thought of. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's why I'm a horrible listener. I'm like, wait a minute, I got one. Ha! <laughs> so you know what I've started doing? I mean, like literally within the last month I, 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 at this point, when I know I'm going to get into a situation where I'm going to have to have a hard conversation and somebody's going to tell me some stuff I don't want to hear, I bring a piece of paper and a pencil, and I write. And I write notes to myself. And if i got a good comeback, I write it down. You know, but I also write what they're saying, and I can listen better that way. I can be quick to listen and slow to speak. If you're a spewer, if you're a skunk, I'm just telling you, it might be one piece of advice I could give you today to try to keep hell out of what's going on. Because whenever I spew, later on, I look back and I have got to apologize, don't I? I got to come back, I got to apologize. The Bible says in the Old Testament, when um, a fool gives, or uh, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Quick to listen and slow to speak. So let me give you the, this is the deadly equation. If you take James backwards, this is the deadly equation. If you're slow to listen and you're quick to speak, you're going to become quick to be angry and that's going to give you deadly. That's going to give you hell. You might want to write that opposite equation down somewhere, get a tattoo or something, because this is something really important. And I know you're looking at me like, you know what? This is not brain surgery, Tim. Okay. Listening, good. Speaking, bad. (laughs) Anger, very bad. Yes. You knew that already, didn't you? That's the problem. It's not the information, it's the motivation. That's why God told Cain, sin is crouching at the door, but you have to do something about it. And James says the same thing. After he gives us the equation of what we should do, he goes on and says, this is a great, this is a great illustration. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like the man who looks at his face in the mirror And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Okay, this is the problem. A lot of us are like, okay, anger, bad, I should master it. 20 seconds out in the parking lot, you're going to be flipping off the parking lot guy because he didn't let you go next, right? (laughs) Do you know what that that is? That is a problem. That's forgetting what you look like. That means you aren't the master of what's going on in your life. That, that's deadly. It's like me looking into the mirror, seeing the crow's feet and the bags under the eyes and the, you know, thinning gray hair and walking away and immediately forgetting what I look like, thinking I look like Adam Levine, sexiest man alive. <laughs> There's a lot of resemblance there, don't you think? You know? That's what it's like. You're like, yeah, I got some anger problems, but it's not that bad, okay? Let me tell you something. It is that bad. You don't look like Adam Levine when you're angry. You look like Bob Costas with pink eye. (laughs) Looked like he was from The Walking Dead, didn't he? Get him off my TV, right? That's what I'm talking about. That's what you look like, okay? So here's my equation for you. Here's the tattoo. Quick to listen, slow to speak equals slow to become angry. Good looking this is good. You get that tattoo. That's what needs to happen. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You're like, well, Tim, I, I, I don't know if I could do that, man. I've, I've been trying, I've been trying, I've been trying. Well, here's the good news, guys. The good news is if you're a believer, you have Jesus. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, and he wants to make you good looking. He wants to make you undeadly. He wants to help you with the sin that's crouching at your door. I mean, think about the people that were with Jesus. I, I, I come back to James and John because James and John are a riot. James and John, you know, the, the, the first apostles, the disciples of Jesus, they were called the sons of thunder. That was their nickname, okay? Does that tell you anything? They were a part of a religious zealot group and they were angry, you know, frustrated. They were thunder boys. This is this James and John the thunder boys? And you're like, well, how do you know this? Well, listen, Luke 9, listen to this okay they'd gone into Samaria and there was a town there that that said forget you to Jesus and the disciples were mad when the disciples James and John the thunder boys saw this they asked Lord do you want us to call down fire from heaven and destroy them (laughs) thunder boys are you in junior high I mean for crying out loud how how long have you been hanging out with Jesus at this point You want him to go Sodom and Gomorrah on this town because they didn't welcome him. Come on, you've been playing too much Xbox. That's not what Jesus wants to do, okay? That's not who it is. And yet, do you know what these guys were known as later on? When when John, for example, wrote his epistles later on, he was known as the apostle of love. Okay, John went from being Thunderboy... Let's rain down the napalm to love, apostle. How did that happen? Well, it was because he was with Jesus. Okay, listen to what he wrote, and we know and we rely on the love. God, listen to this. This is Thunderboy. We know and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. What has he been to Colorado? I don't understand this. How how is that Thunderboy? Huh? I'll tell you how that's Thunderboy, and I put it on the screen so you really remember this. The more you hang out with Jesus, the more your life should look like love. Now that's hard for me to say, because I've been hanging out with Jesus for a really long time. And I had to look like a lot more love than I look like. And maybe you're thinking the same thing. Well, guess what? It is not God's fault. It's not Jesus' fault. It's me being Otis. Walking back into it over and over again. Here's what Paul says: get rid of bitterness, rage. Okay, this is like the whole summation of the whole anger issue. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Okay. All of this. Get rid of all the bad anger stuff. And what should we do? Well, we should be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. All the bad stuff, kick it out. Kick it out of your house. Well, that's not possible, Tim. Well, hang on a second. If it's in the Bible, it's possible. Not on your own, but with the power of God, it is possible to go from sons of thunder to apostle of love without stopping through Colorado. It is possible for this to happen. And you say, well, yeah, but that's the apostle Paul. I mean, you know, he, he was an apostle, I mean, for crying out loud. Do you know what Paul did before he became an apostle? He was in the Jewish mafia. He killed Christians. Do you think Paul might have had a few anger issues back in his day? And before you say, well, you know, his life was probably a lot easier than mine, he was not writing this from a beach in Maui, si- sipping on mojitos, guys. He was writing this from a Roman prison in a Roman prison where anybody you know, who would have had the right to say, you know what, I don't deserve this. This is not who I ought to be. Somebody else ought to get me out of here. If anybody had a right to, to, to not say, get rid of all that anger stuff, it would have been the Apostle Paul. But he said, get rid of it. Get it out of here. Be done with it. Be filled up. Be kind and compassionate. And forgive one another like Jesus we 've got trash cans you probably noticed on your way in why we 're burning trash outside all the doors on your way in. Um, those trash cans are going we 're going to do this for all seven weeks of the seven deadly sins, and in front of you in your chair back is a piece of paper that you can write down something that you need to get rid of in your life. I was thinking about it this week I, I read this illustration from Back after the Civil War with all the you know, issues that they had trying to bring the country back together. And Robert E. Lee was visiting this southern woman who ha- had this beautiful plantation that had just been decimated by the war. And she was talking about this tree out front that had been you know, blown up by the Union Army. And, and she was complaining. She said, can you believe what they did to my tree? She was expecting Robert E. Lee to say, yeah, I can't believe those Yankees. I can't believe what they did. And Robert E. Lee instead said, just cut it down, ma'am just cut it down, burn it up, and forget it. So so what I want you to do is I want you, and we're going to have a time of of worship. See, the, the other deal is Jesus said, before you have communion, before you do worship, before you leave your gift at the altar, go be reconciled with the people you need to be reconciled with. So... I want you to, you don't have to do that literally, but I want you to write down what's making you angry. What, what is it that you need to get rid of in your life? It may have been something somebody did to you, maybe a situation, or you can write a prayer down, something that you want help with, whatever. And then on your way out, throw them in those trash cans and, and burn it up and forget about it. Again, trash cans are outside, some people the first service last night were a little confused. They were looking around in here for the burning trash cans I, I didn't think I had to explain it, but I want to make sure I do. Outside, on your way out, let it go. Let me put this scripture up on the screen because I, I, I want to finish with it. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ. That's the key phrase, just as Christ. Just as Christ what? Well, just as Christ loved, you can become uh, the apostle of love from the son of thunder. You know, I mean, part of this problem is you, you can't hate anybody if you really love them. You can't be angry. You can't want to kill them if you love them. And when we're like Jesus, we're going to love. Jesus said the second greatest commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself. What Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount is don't feel all cocky about yourself because you didn't kill somebody. If you hate them, you have already committed the problem, all right? So just as Christ means it, it, it's about love, because if we don't do that, it's going to be hell for both of us, just as. And Jesus could look down at the cross, at the, from the cross, at the very people who had betrayed him and killed him, and still have love for them. And if you can learn to start having love for the, for the people that are around you, because you've been with Jesus, just as, then it's going to change everything. The second part is the forgiveness part, right? Jesus said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they're doing. And we, you know we pray this, right, in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Why can we do that? Because just as in Christ God forgave you, when you realize what Jesus did for you, then it changes everything even more. Not only should you love them, but you should realize that you didn't deserve forgiveness either. You know, when Jesus said... Father, forgive them. You know who the them is, don't you? It's you. It's me. We're the ones who put Jesus on the cross. He died on the cross for my sin. If you didn't remember this, or maybe you didn't know it from the Passion of the Christ movie, you know, Mel Gibson believed that so strongly that the only cameo appearance he made in the Passion of the Christ movie was that it was Mel Gibson's own hand holding the spike that they drove into the hands and the feet of Jesus because he was making a statement. He was saying, listen, it was me that put Jesus there. We can't blame those people. It was me. And when I realized that it was me that put Jesus on the cross, it changes my perspective yet again. Because I believe a big part of the issues that I have with anger is about about fairness. It's about, well, I deserve better than that. Isn't that true? I deserve better than that. I can't believe they treated me that way. I deserve better than that. If I can just stop myself and say, okay, number one, I love them. And number two, you know what? I really don't deserve better than this. I deserve hell. My sins put Jesus on the cross. And I don't deserve any better than this. As a matter of fact, I deserve a lot worse. I deserve a literal hell for my sin. So there's no way I should feel justified in bringing it to somebody else because of my anger. Let me say that again. I deserve hell for my sin, and there's no way I should feel justified in bringing it to somebody else because of my anger. And the good news, again, is that, by the way, I already died to that old sin. I don't have to live in it anymore. I've got the power of God inside of me. So it really ought to change me. The cross really ought to change my perspective. The more I hang out with Jesus, the more I ought to be different. I deserve deadly, but I don't have to live there. The prison is not locked for me. So we're going to sing some worship and uh, give you a chance just right now. You can write those things down if you want uh, right now or just spend a moment in worship because I want us to do this before we get to the point where we do communion. And as we sing this song, it's about the power of God working through us. I want your prayer to be God. Help me to not be deadly. Help me to not walk back into prison over and over again and live in this deadly place. Work through me. I died to sin. Help me to know. Help me to have the motivation to want to be the person that looks more like an apostle of love than a son of thunder. Let's do it. We're going to do communion. He's got the strength for you, but um, as we do communion, i, I got to remember this whole thing about just as in Christ God forgave me. This is a letter written to a man on death row by the father of the man he killed. You're probably surprised that I, of all people, am writing a letter to you, but I ask you to read it in its entirety and consider its request seriously. As the father of the man whom you took part in murdering, I have something very important to say to you. I forgive you. With all my heart, I forgive you. I realize it may be hard for you to believe, but I do. At your trial, when you confessed to your part in the events that cost my son his life and asked me for forgiveness, I immediately granted it to you. I can only hope that you will believe me and accept my forgiveness. But that's not all I have to say to you. I want to make you an offer. I want you to become my adopted child. My son who died was my only child and I now don't have anyone to share my riches with so I want to share them with you. This may not make any sense to you or anyone else but I believe that you are worth the offer. I have arranged matters so that you will receive if you will receive my offer of forgiveness not only will you be pardoned for your crime but you will be set free from your imprisonment and your sentence of death will be dismissed. At that point you will become my adopted child and heir to all I have. Now, you may be concerned that once you accept my offer, you may do something to cause you to be denied your rights as an heir to my wealth, but nothing could be further from the truth. If I can forgive you for your part in my son's death, I can forgive you for anything. I believe that once you've accepted my offer to begin to experience the riches that will come to you from me, your primary response will be gratitude and loyalty and love. Some would call me foolish for my offer to you, but I wish for you to call me your father. Sincerely, the Father of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, that is uh, it's powerful when I hear it that way every time. Because I did put Jesus up there, and I, and I know that. And when I, when I get a hold of that, when I understand that, it helps me to understand if, if, if I've been saved from hell, I have no right to bring it to anybody else. And I have no reason to live there myself. Your power and your riches are available to me. So I'm asking for you to come in and to be here in my life and let me look more like this apostle of love than the son of thunder. Pray for all of us here. Maybe there are people here, Lord, who don't have you. Right now they're sitting there going, well, I don't even know. Lord, just let them open up the door to their heart right now and say, Jesus, come in. I want you to be here. I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I, 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 not even eternity. I want out of hell right now. I, I want to follow you right now. I want you to save me. And for all of us, we'll remember what you did for us. That ought to really change things when we go back out, when we go back out to live with those people around us, when we act more like Christ. Be with us as we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.